I'm Paul Hastings, and you're listening to Compelled, a podcast with unique stories from the kingdom of God told by the people compelled to live for Him. This week's episode is a little bit different than our usual show. We're actually taking a break this week from our regular episode format, and instead, we're going to air one of our behind-the-scenes episodes. So what that means is normally when I sit down with a guest, we have a conversation that's usually around two hours long. And normally that's probably longer than what most of you guys want to listen to, which is why we edit it down to 30 to 40 minutes long. But that also means there's a lot of great material that we end up trimming out. So the behind the scenes episode includes all of that material. We still do some slight editing to remove interruptions or bathroom breaks, but for the most part, it's pretty close to the original interview. No narration, no music, just a conversation. And normally, only our Compelled Monthly members can listen to these special behind-the-scenes episodes, but this week, we wanted to share a special one with you. The guest we'll be hearing from is Linda Strom, the founder and president of Discipleship Unlimited, a women's prison ministry focused on transforming women's lives through the power of Jesus Christ. Linda has a powerful testimony of how God worked in her own broken life before leading her into prison ministry on death row. And part of that journey included being the spiritual mentor for Carla Faye Tucker, the first woman executed in Texas in over 100 years. We aired Linda's original episode almost one year ago, the day that we launched Compelled, actually. And in fact, she's episode number one, and it's still one of my favorite conversations. So that's the the behind-the-scenes conversation you're going to hear right now. And if you like it, you can listen to several more just like it by becoming a Compelled Monthly member starting at $10 a month. To get started, just visit compelledpodcast.com and click the button at the top that says become a member. Again, that's at compelledpodcast.com. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Linda Strom. The opinions expressed by the guest in the following behind-the-scenes interview do not necessarily reflect those of Compelled. Linda, thank you so much for joining us on today's episode of Compelled. For those uh, that are listening that are not super familiar with you or your ministry, could you just give us a quick little brief synopsis about yourself and what you do? Well, I grew up in western Pennsylvania and I grew up in a crazy family. We were like uh, reality TV is today. My dad was an alcoholic. My parents were involved in many different relationships, and there was a lot of chaos. And so both my brother and I were impacted tremendously by our grandmother. She would always be saying scripture to us or singing hymns. It was like You could depend on my grandma to give you a word of hope. And one of her favorite verses is, with God, all things are possible. And she explained to me that she would be praying for me every every night, every morning, and that God was going to be greater than what I was going through at that time. And at the age of 17, I found myself uh, in a relationship with a young man I met who rode a motorcycle and was kind of like Fonzie. And um, I ended up in my senior year in high school, and I'm old, so it was back in the 50s. I ended up pregnant at Hmm. 17 years of age, ended up getting married on the day after Christmas when I was 17, and had a son, and that marriage didn't last very long. And I wondered, where was God? Um, 
it had been such a long journey. And then for me to meet someone and get involved in a marriage and then have my parents coming back into my life, it was utter chaos. And so at the age of 19, I was separated from my son. He was left with my husband's, my ex-husband's parents, with his grandparents. And I moved to Minneapolis with the hope of being able to get a career. And I was hired by Northwest Airlines. So so my whole childhood was very uh, similar to the women that I work with today. I do work in prisons, and I work with women that come from very dysfunctional and many times abusive backgrounds. My father was physically abusive. Um, My mother was verbally abusive. And so I was looking uh, for the God of my grandmother. And at 19, I met another man that would become my husband. And it would last for 45 years. Oh, wow. Because I had an invasion of the, the master, the lover of my soul, at a place of desperation. I had married Dallas a short time after I moved to Minneapolis, and his name was Dallas. He's not a, he wasn't a Texan, but he was when he died. He, did, he came to <laughs> Texas. But um, it was at that point in my life, separated from my son in a second marriage. Neither one of us were Christ followers at that time that I thought, I'm repeating the pattern of my parents. I knew it, but I didn't know what to do because my mom had been divorced and married many times, and so had my dad. And here I was at 20 years of age in a second marriage, and it was going nowhere, separated from my son. And I remember getting on my knees that night, and um, the reason I was on my knees is I'd thrown a pot of beans at my husband. It wasn't like I was so spiritual, but I had to clean them up. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. (laughs) So I'm on my knees, and I'm saying, God, if there is a God, and if you're real, you got to help me, because if you're not real, I'm not going to make it in this world. Hmm. And uh, I I was broken. And that night, as I cried out to God, Um, I stayed home. Billy Graham was on TV, and he was speaking on marriage. That's how good God is. And I I can't tell you anything he said about marriage that night, Paul. The only thing I can tell you was that he said, as high as the heavens are above the earth, that's how great God's love is for those who fear him. And I did fear God. That was the reason I was still alive. I mean, I didn't know how to put my life back together But I remember him talking about the love of God. And I said to God in my apartment with my son away from home, with my husband, who I was married to at 20, thinking he might never come home because I'd gotten angry and thrown beans and maybe he wouldn't come back Hmm. when I wouldn't blame him. Um, That night, as I prayed that prayer and said, please, God, if you're real, please love me like that. Mm. It was like I was baptized in the love of God. And it's been there ever since. It didn't, I mean, I I desperately miss my son. Um, I wanted for my marriage to work, but that wasn't the issue anymore. The, uh, The change that took place in knowing that someone loved me unconditionally just like I was was just overwhelming for me. Wow. Wow. What what did what did what did Dallas think? Like th- th- was it, you know, apparent right away? Did he come home and say, you know, what what's going on here? Well, I called his parents because his parents didn't know I was a divorced person. I mean, oh, wow. they didn't know any of our history. Oh, wow. But they were praying for me. 
and they connected. I could connect that with my grandma. With and so when I prayed with uh, Billy Graham that night, I called my mother-in-law and I said. I was just watching Billy Graham on TV, and I prayed the prayer with him. And she said, stay right where you are. Dad and I will be right over. And they came over, and they started hugging and kissing me, and they gave me a Bible, and they gave me books to read. And they were ecstatic. Dallas's reaction was totally different. He just, he was, he had a real... um, wry sense of humor and was a little bit like sarcastic sometimes and he just said well should be a lot safer around here if what you say is true I mean he wasn't impressed Hmm. but I quit going out and partying after work I was working for Northwest Airlines at the time I quit partying I started cooking for him and just enjoying being with him and uh and he saw the change in me and he ended up driving to Omaha, Nebraska to hear Billy Graham because I thought Billy Graham's the only person that knows this. Mm. And so we lived in Minneapolis. We got in our car. We went to the racetrack in Nebraska in Omaha, and that's where Dr. Graham was. And he didn't say anything to me, but later he told me that on the way home in the car, he prayed to receive the oh, Lord wow. as well. Wow. So that was the beginning of a great adventure. After that... Um, I went back to see Terry, who my ex-husband had remarried. We both remarried very quickly. What was like a, a high school sweetheart and then devastation, and then you just gravitate to someone else. You know, when you don't have the Lord, you kept looking for something to fill that pain and that void in your life, and you think it can be another person, but it can't be that other person because we're created for that relationship with God. So when I when I prayed and, and I really felt that love, I just could not wait to go back and see Terry because when he was born, I thought I loved him so much and I thought I'm never gonna hurt my son like I was hurt. I'll never leave him because my mom had left when I was a teenager and uh, moved to another part of town and with someone else and left me with my dad who was an alcoholic and I thought I'll never leave him and yet I did the very things I said I'd never do and I went back to see him and it was like a real healing time for me and I was able to bring him back to uh, Minneapolis and I, and I hadn't asked Dallas if I could do that mm. and so I didn't know if he'd be at the airport or not but he was. I, I sent word to him. I didn't call him myself because I was too afraid he would say no. But I, I knew I had to do this. And I was trusting that God would help help us and keep us together. And when I got to the airport, Dallas was there. And he picked up Terry. And that was the beginning of their relationship. But the, the amazing part of the story for me is my mother-in-law because she had no clue that I had a child. And so we knew we had to tell her. Oh, wow. So, so you're, so let's, let's back, (laughs) let's back up here for a second. Yeah. So, so Terry, how old was Terry at this time? He was, uh, not three years old, but he was going on three years old. So you went to go visit your ex-husband and your son. Mm -hmm. And on that trip, you decided you were going to bring Terry home with you, but you didn't tell anyone on the flight 
back? Like you had you been told Dallas that you were bringing back Terry? I had someone else tell him. You had someone else tell Dallas that I you were bringing back Terry. I was afraid. I was afraid that wow. he would say no. And if he did say no, I knew I had to do it anyway. Hmm. And um, and God just gave me perfect love casts out fear. Where I'd been fearful and intimidated for so long in my life, all of a sudden I knew that someone bigger lived inside of me and that he was putting my life together, giving us a plan. And now, Paul, you know that my son and I work together in prisons. And so I say, what happens when you make a mistake and you leave your son and your heart is broken and you feel like it can never be repaired? Well, sometimes, and it might just happen to you as well, they become the worship leader in the ministry. Hmm. So it's it's a pretty amazing story. I'm so grateful to God. You know, when you think of the way life can be with Christ, it's so different. There's such a contrast. Well, thank you so much for just sharing this. This is like, uh, you know, I'm being super honest. Like, I have not heard a lot of this, actually. Okay. Because, um, you know, my connection with you has been through the prison ministry. Yeah. But I knew that God has worked through many things because I've heard you and I've heard others reference your your testimony before. <clears throat> and uh, before Sarah and I came here, we were looking um, at, um, you know, just trying to prepare for the interview. And uh, I had, I, I, you know, I found your testimony online because there's a recording of it. And I thought, well, should I watch it before I come and hear from you? And I ultimately concluded, no. Yeah. I don't want to. I want to. I want to experience, you know, what you have to share, just like, um, you know, our listeners will hear for the very first time. And this is this is so impactful. They didn't know I'd been married and divorced. Wow. Because Dallas's family. He called it religious, but they really had a relationship with Christ, but he didn't. So he felt like they wouldn't accept me Mm. if they knew my story, which really puts pressure on you to be married to somebody whose parents don't really know you, but you think you have this relationship, but you think, wonder if they really knew how they would feel about me. So the next morning we decided we had to go over and tell his mom. And so Dallas called and said, we're coming over for coffee. He's Scandinavian. We're up in Minnesota. And uh, and so when we walked in her kitchen, I was holding Terry. And she looked at him and she looked at me and she said, he's beautiful and he looks just like you. And she didn't ask me any questions. Um, she just started loving my son. Mm. And it's, it was a beautiful healing mm. family that God brought me into. My mother-in-law really chose me, which was a, a pretty amazing event in my life because I'd gone there on Christmas Eve when I was dating Dallas. And Scandinavians put something in the rice. Now, I think it's supposed to be something else, but she put a pea in my rice. And if whoever got that, that was the next one to get married. So we knew my my mother-in-law already chose me before. I think her son did. But uh, she was like, for me, like my Naomi. Uh, She taught me about her God. Hmm. And we were together. She died at 94. And she actually spoke at Dallas's funeral, my husband's Hmm. funeral, when he died. So she was a, a... 
strength to me, just like my grandma. When women have that strength that comes alone, and men too, of course, but you expect men to be strong. But for women like that to have that strength to endure through hardships and through disappointments and relationships gone awry, um, it's amazing. Wow, wow. So let's let's step forward a little bit more then. So um, you were now living in Minneapolis with Dallas and Terry. And then how did how did you become involved with the prison ministry? Well, Dallas and I had two more children the next two Christmases after we became Christian. So and then um, we felt like it was going to just be perfect. You know, Terry was going to follow the Lord and our boys were going to follow the Lord. And what happened is we joined Campus Crusade for Christ staff and we moved to Milwaukee. And during that time, Terry went through some serious rebellion. And uh, we ended up having my brother, who was a doctor in Kentucky, take Terry for a semester to try to get him out of the environment that we were living with in in Wisconsin. And uh, during that time, uh, Terry got into heavy drug usage. So we went down. My brother was the doctor at Eddyville State Prison, and he was also going through Asbury Seminary. My brother and I, once we came to Christ, we both wanted to fix everybody because we knew what it was to be broken. Yeah. <laughs> and so we both had this zeal, you know, we're just going to make a difference in the world. And then you realize that only Christ can make a difference in the world, but he wants to use ordinary people. Just like you said in your podcast, it's about ordinary people with an extraordinary God. So yeah. we went down to Eddyville, Kentucky to visit Terry over Easter. And while we were there, my husband and I went over to Eddyville Prison on Easter Sunday to meet a man named Billy Houchins. And Billy had been on death row, but during the 70s when this all took place, there was a moratorium in the death penalty. Mm -hmm. And he wrote his story out, and they sent it to everybody in the prison because he was so radically changed by Christ. And I got to meet him, Dallas and I got to meet him on that Easter Sunday with my brother. And he shared his story. And there was such a presence of God in that place. Um, It's a huge, antique, ancient building. You know, one of those really old, like real uh, prisons, like you see in a movie. Yeah. Yeah. You could hear the, the... clanging of the gates and he had leg irons and cuffs on and so he's giving us this testimony and then the officer said it's all true then he said your time is up and billy said but could we pray and we'd had to stand there were no chairs in the room we'd been together for like an hour and the officer said yeah take some time to pray and he dropped to his knees. And he was like six foot four, so was my husband. All of a sudden, we're on our knees together. When the chains hit the floor of that prison, I just was like, this is what Easter's about. Mm. It's about people that are in chains, but they're getting set free. Mm. And I walked out of that prison and I said, let's just sell everything and let's just move down here and we'll start working in the prison. And, and like my husband was married to somebody that's like, you know, I'm emotional. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like Scandinavian uh-huh. and he didn't know what to do. So he just kind of would pat me and say, well, we'll pray about that. We'll think about that. We'll talk about that. But, 
you know, a year went by and we hadn't done anything. And then we got the call in Wisconsin to do a marriage seminar up in the northern part of the state. And while we were doing the marriage seminar, it was for for church people, mm-hmm. uh, which is interesting that they'd have us do a marriage seminar. But it was because we did it all wrong, and then we started doing it in God's way, and yeah. we knew it worked. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of people just do it God's way, which is great. You don't have all that baggage, and your kids don't have all that baggage. But um, while we were there, there was a guy who said, our associate warden wants somebody to do marriage uh seminars for inmates and their wives would you two be willing to come and do a day for the wives of inmates and they'll be able to come and join you well we started doing that and we did it for 20 years every month in many different prisons in the state of wisconsin under the state of wisconsin so wow yeah actually they paid the ministry for us to come and do this and then we we got a center in the inner city um of milwaukee and we'd have big parties when guys would get out of prison for their families we started doing child evangelism for uh, and some of the most wonderful things happen when you're in this. Where Jesus tells us where the action is. He said it's with the homeless, with the naked, with the prisoner. So we would have these parties where um, children would be marching and singing to Jesus, and you have black, white, Hispanic people, and it's, you're just one in Christ. And it was it was a wonderful season. Wow. And then Prison Fellowship picked us up. And so they asked if we would be contract speakers for them. And that's how I got to Texas. And, uh, and my husband had come the year before, and he said, if you ever go to Texas and see all those women dressed in white, you'll, I'll never get you back to Wisconsin. And that was in 1987 that I went. And um, it, it was life-changing for me. Well, now, when you mention the women dressed in white, you're referring to Texas prisoners. Right. The women are dressed in white. That's the color of their prison uniforms here in Texas. It's it's just white. Tell me, let's loop back to Terry. So how old was Terry at this point when all of this was going on and you and your husband now were involved in prison ministry? Where was Terry in at this point in time? Terry was at a point where he was saying he didn't really even know if there was a God. And, uh, and we went through many years where Terry struggled. He wanted to believe, but he had a lot of brokenness. And it was really hard for me because as a believer, I had asked for forgiveness, but I couldn't get rid of the guilt. Hmm. And so I took Terry to a, a counselor to help him because <laughs> I thought, if he gets help, I'll, I'll feel better too. We'll all be, we'll all be this happy family. So he saw his counselor for about seven times, and then Tom, the counselor, came out and said, "Um, your son knows what he's doing, and he's not affected by it at all. He's enjoying his life. It seems like you're the person I need to see. You? You, Linda, were the person (laughs) that needed to see. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so he started talking with me, and I said that one of the things I couldn't get over was that I had been a bad mother. And he said, are you saying your son is bad? And I said, no, I'm not saying that. And he said, you really are. He said, you know, you've asked for forgiveness. He's granted you forgiveness. 
Now you need to surrender him. You need to let go and trust God in his life. And I was really upset with that counselor. I mean, first of all, he asked me what else I could do that I hadn't done to help my son. And I, I gave this long list and then he was quiet and I asked him, do you, what else do you think I can do? And he said, can't think of anything. Let's sit here and think for a while. I think I'm paying this guy to sit and think, you know? Mm, yeah. <laughs> and then after a while, I said to him, did you think of anything? And he said, no, did you? And I said, no. And he said, well, I did think of one thing. You could surrender. Well, that just sounded just crazy to me. My son was 17 using all different kinds of drugs. There wasn't seemed to be anything I could do. We tried some treatment. I ended up going through adult children of alcoholic treatment. He ended up leaving the treatment center because he wasn't ready. Hmm. And I needed help. And so um, one night when Terry was late and getting home from work, because he lived with us for quite a while, um, I was really worried about it. And I was thinking, is he going to be all right tonight? And then I got on my knees and I said, God, please help me to receive the forgiveness that you've given me. I know you forgive me, but I can't get rid of all this guilt. And so I prayed, and as I was uh, praying, I just laid it at the foot of the cross, and I just said, I'm going to stay right here with you until I know in my heart that it's, it's gone, hmm. that you paid for that. Even though it's something I regret Uh, there was no way to change it. And that night I got free from that guilt and shame. And when I told that to Terry, he was was as excited about it as I was because he said, you know, I feel bad about what I'm doing to myself, but I feel bad then about what I'm doing to you, and it just drives me further into it. And so um, I let him go. And he was out in the far country playing in a rock band. That's where he got to be such a good worship leader. Hmm. Well, <laughs> And well. then I was good until uh, in 1992. Well, in 1991, I took my daughter-in-law to a um, retreat that I spoke at. And while, while we were there, we got into little groups for prayer. <clears throat> and she had prayed that she could get pregnant because she hadn't gotten pregnant. They'd been married for quite a while. And, and this, this is Terry's wife. Yeah, this is Terry's wife. So Terry and Jean are with us with um, in ministry in prison. And so Jeannie prayed. She said, I know how much Linda wants a grandchild. <laughs> well, she was right. <laughs> she knew it more than I did because when she got pregnant and Jacob was born... That's when I went on another like crusade to try to get Terry totally set free from hmm. from drugs. Hmm. Well, so you'd mentioned that you took uh, Terry's wife, Jean, to one. Now, now tell me about that. was was Jean a believer at this point, or was she just there at the event and she just prayed to God at it at the same time? But she wasn't a believer yet. Well, they had lived together, and so because they were not walking with the Lord. Mm. And, and I had a Bible study for people that were really feeling broken and maybe they didn't feel like they fit into the body of Christ, into the church. And so when they, when they asked Dallas to do their wedding, my husband was the minister, 
And we went through that whole struggle that you go through, and he decided to do the wedding. And she was surrounded by believers. So she had a wonderful feeling towards believers, towards Dallas and I. But they just were kind of party people, and they were not into any any kind of fellowship. Yeah. But she did go, you know why she went? To help her sister, because her sister needed some help. And she said, why don't we go in here, Linda, speak at this retreat? And so Judy and Jean came to the retreat, and while they were there, Jeannie uh, asked the women to pray for her that she get pregnant, and she did. Wow. It's their only child. She was not really supposed to have children. But when Jake was born, that was like, uh, I just wanted him to have this kind of relationship with, well, Jean and Terry to have it, like I knew had changed my life. But I, you can't do that for someone else. All you can do is pray and surrender, like Tom said. But I did do a little crusade, like trying to get <laughs> yeah. people to talk to him. I tried everything I knew to, to do. And then I went to Texas, and um, it was when I was in Texas that I started to ask the inmates to pray for my son and his wife. Mm. And they started praying. And in 1987, when I met Carla Faye Tucker, I saw such a powerful example of redemption. And as you know, Carla was the first woman executed in Texas. She was executed 20 years ago in 1998. I met her in 1987, and we were friends for 11 years. It was after I had done a seminar at the prison, and I went over to um, the row. The chaplain had said, this is going to be a time of refreshment for you. If you can stay after doing the weekend and go over after church on Sunday, you will just uh, be amazed at these three women living on death row. Well, you know, the night before, I was tired. I mean, I'd spoken like four times during that period of time. I had Sunday church to do. Now I'm wide awake thinking, what do you tell people who live in a place where it says death row? Hmm. And I was awake a lot of the night, and God God showed me some things. One of the things that he reminded me of is when, when I was growing up in Pennsylvania, and I never knew what it would be like going home because sometimes um, my parents would be fighting, and they threw things. That's where, you know, like I threw the beans. You, you learn how to deal with things. Your parents are like role models for you. So sometimes they'd break windows and oh, plates. Wow. And so it was, we lived on a 40-acre farm. You can't do that kind of, well, maybe you can. I guess I've heard a lot of horrific stories. But I had to walk up a road on my own, a dirt road, to the house. We lived by a lake. My friend, I would play with her. We'd have time together. She'd walk me to the dirt road. But always that dirt road, I had to go alone. And that was such a scary time. And the Lord reminded me of that as I was praying about death row. And he said to me, um, I want you to say that when they get to the dirt road, when it gets hard, I'm going to be all the way. I'm going to walk them all the way home. Hmm. And I, th- I know now that was for me because hmm. I have worked with death row women since uh, 1987 and each time I have a woman that knows the Lord that's executed, <clears throat> it is a very difficult time. And so uh, he walks with us during the difficult times. When we don't know the future, 
when we can't see because there were curves and there were hills on this road to my house. When we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, we know that we have someone that's right there with us to walk that dirt road with us. Amen. Wow, this this is such a blessing just like hearing you say these things because obviously I don't struggle with the same types of things that you're mentioning here. I have not been to prison. I don't struggle with drugs. My daughter's one year old, so she doesn't mm. struggle with drugs either. No. So, but you know, for for someone like myself, there are lots of plenty of other things that I struggle with in a, in a much different type of way. You know, concerns about my job, concerns about our family and family direction, our marriage, um, and you know, there are definitely times when I feel like, oh man, you know what what's going to happen next? Is God really listening? You know, uh, what in the world is happening right now? It just seems so out of control and spinning out of chaos that this is really encouraging for me to just like, you know, hear you share this because that's that's such a good reminder. Remember that, wow, you know, God is there with us. He's walking alongside us, even if we don't um, even notice, right? Or we can't even tell he's there with us regardless. Even if it's scary. Yeah. Because sometimes life is just scary. Yeah. And so we have to know that assurance that he'll never leave us. And he tells us that in his word, you know. And so the word of God becomes such um, a valuable gift to people that are facing death. One of the things, the first time I met Carla Faye Tucker was after that meeting uh, at the chapel, and I went over to death row she said to me we don't call this death row we call this life row Mm. because the life of the lord is here and she didn't want to tell me her story she wanted to hear my story and then at that time we were doing the married seminars in the prison and we were working in the inner city um had a great friendship with reggie white who used to play with the green bay packers Mm. and reggie was kind of guy that was famous in Wisconsin, maybe, I don't know, anybody who watches football probably still, <laughs> but he was he was an out-of-the-envelope kind of guy, because we would have these big retreats, and he would bring in gang members, Latin kings, and we had a little nun that was um, a friend of ours that, she, we called her the secret weapon. She knew Jesus, and she would be there with these Latin kings, and we were doing such... Uh, unusual things. And so I shared that with the girls on the row. And they said, oh, you're going to be our prayer project. As a teenager, I had so many friends whose lives were transformed by attending a Worldview Academy leadership camp. For many of them, it was the highlight of their summer because it was such a spiritually engaging experience. And today, Worldview Academy's mission continues. If you have a student between 13 to 18 and you care about equipping them with biblical truth so that they're prepared to stand firm and engage with the culture, then Worldview Academy is what you're looking for. Worldview Academy's week-long summer intensives cover topics in apologetics, servant leadership, and evangelism, all while building deep friendships with like-minded students. Your student will engage with 25 hours of interactive teaching, addressing questions like, how do I know that the Bible is true? Does God really exist? Who defines what is right or wrong? And what difference does that make in my life? Since 1996, over 42,000 students have called this one of the best weeks of their life. And with 18 summer intensives all across the country, there's certain to be one near you. Learn more and get 10% off your student's camp registration as a compelled listener by using the promo code COMPELLED at worldview.org. 
Register for camp today at worldview.org while spots are still available. And remember to get 10% off using the promo code COMPELLED. Summer is here, and so is the chance to take a breather from school. And there's a decent chance that the subject your student is most excited to take a break from is math. But it doesn't have to be that way, especially if you're using CTC Math. Their focus is helping your student learn at the pace that's best for them. Every lesson is fully online with interactive questions and clear explanations. And their video tutorials take difficult concepts and break them down into digestible ideas. But here's the crazy part. They have a 12-month money-back guarantee. That's right, you can use CTC Math for an entire year. And if you don't like it, or it didn't work out for you, or if you're just unethical, which as a compelled listener, I hope you're not, then you just shoot them an email and tell them that you'd like your money back and they'll gladly refund your entire purchase, no questions asked. There is literally no risk for an entire year. You can't beat that because their heart is to serve your family. That's why they sponsor Compelled so that we can continue creating stories that will bless and encourage your family. And they want to do the same for your students' math needs. So whether summer is a time for your student to catch up, keep up, or move ahead, CTC Math is there. Learn more at ctcmath.com. Again, that's ctcmath.com. And then I said, well, I have a bigger prayer project, and that is my son. I love him so much. And at that time, Jake wasn't born, but that was in 1987. And Carla prayed for Terry. In fact, Terry was one of the last people that she saw before her execution. And I'm getting ahead of myself. So you can uh, take me back to where we should be here. (laughs) Okay. So, Linda, let's pick up where uh, you had mentioned that you came to Texas uh, to minister here. And I'm sure when you first came to Texas, you weren't planning to move here. You literally thought you were just going to come here for a weekend or something. Can you tell us more about that? Like, what was it that brought you here to Texas in the first place? And then what eventually made you stay? I think what happened, the very first night I went into the chapel, and I ministered to the women. And you could give an altar call in Texas, not in Wisconsin. So I had all these women at the altar just... uh, receiving the Mm. love of God. And and all of a sudden, I thought, my life makes sense now. Mm. All of the stuff I went through has given hope because God is greater than anything you face, like my grandma said, and he's the God of hope. And when I saw people getting hope, I just, I wanted to do it as long as I had breath in me. Mm. And, And still, I don't think there's anything that thrills me, like going into a prison and, and watching the Spirit of the Lord move through people that come in that, whether they're broken or, well, we're all broken, but it's out of that brokenness that his light and love just pour out. And he's so, uh, it's so evident that Jesus is there. Yeah. He just shows up for the broken people. Yeah. He always was with people that were a mess, and that's why they had a message because they were such a mess when he meant them and all of a sudden he got uh, in their lives and started taking over one thing after another and and then you become a message of his love and grace. It's all about his grace. So for me, going that first night, walking out of there, 
I mean, I was so excited and so high. I'd never been to a, to Texas before that. And well, I take that back because I was at Expo 76, but not in, in central Texas yeah. where there's uh, pickup trucks and bigels in the back of the truck and <laughs> guns. I mean, and cowboy hats. <laughs> I I didn't realize there were still cowboys today, but there are. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I found that out. <clears throat> what what prison were you at when you came? I was at Mountain View. That's where death row is. And uh, <clears throat> I did a weekend at Mountain View. And I was only at Mountain View until actually... Uh, Carla's execution. We only went to Mountain View, and that was in 1998. So there were 11 years there that I came from Wisconsin twice a year for five days at a time, and we would do uh, seminars for the death row women and also in the chapel. Mm. I worked real closely with the chaplain, who was amazing, and it was great. Wow, wow. So then when you were at death row, Tell me about that experience in particular. So you met Carla Faye Tucker. You mentioned that um, you know she was the first woman executed in Texas history in over 100 years. And I, I know that you've written a book about her. And in the book, you don't really focus on her crime or her past. Instead, you, you focus on who she is as a new creation. Mm-hmm. And can you kind of tell me about that contrast, meeting these women who were believers and changed on death row? You know, the wonderful part about living in Wisconsin is I had no idea what anybody on death row was there for, and I really didn't want to know. Um, But what I saw in Carla was someone who died before they died. Hmm. She was just alive to the Word of God, and she was not afraid about dying, and she really knew she was forgiven. Um, there, there's a song and it's not as popular anymore as holy ground. We're standing on holy ground and it was, you could lift your hands and it was holy hands. I'm lifting up holy hands. And she had learned to sign, do sign language because one of our girls on death row was deaf. Mm. And so she wanted to be able to share the gospel. They became like a little nucleus of all of them were believers at that point. And so um, I saw radical love for these women that they had for each other and for that God had for them. And they, they were like a little mini church. And um, Carla just had a shepherd's heart. And she was always like wanting them like to show us if they had written something or if they had us a testimony to give. She was like the person that encouraged everybody else. So there was just a great friendship among the women, and they started praying for people that I was concerned about. And so the the book, Carla Faye Tucker Set Free, is about people who came there. Like one of the ladies from my Bible study came, and she had AIDS. Mm. And she had gotten that from her husband, who was bisexual. Mm. And she couldn't forgive him, and he was dying, and she was knew that she would be dying. But she was so angry and she didn't know where to go with the anger. And I had the girls praying. And then I said, would you like to come, Chris, to prison? She spoke fluent Spanish. I said, you can work with our uh, Spanish-speaking inmates during the time that we have our conference. And it was amazing watching God because she had all of these girls that were struggling with 
sexual issues. And she was having to guide them through the love of God and through forgiveness. And then she went over to death row and they prayed for her. And she walked off a death row and said to me, if God can forgive them, and I know he has because I feel his presence there, maybe God can forgive my husband. Hmm. And if he can forgive my husband, then I need to forgive him too. And her whole family, next, she died that year and asked me to do her funeral. She was hmm. a very prominent woman in Milwaukee. And so it was just great. I had a chance to to tell them what Chris wanted me to tell them. And she said, I want you to tell them that I, I found life and freedom on death row and that we're all on death row and that the women that I met are still alive, but I've gone to be with the Lord because I was able to get forgiveness. Hmm. And so I begin to see the scripture, a bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out as what was happening two people that came to what we called Life Row and saw these women that were murderers living, lifting up holy hands. They truly were forgiven, and they knew they were forgiven. And nobody doubted that, even, even before Carla's execution in 1998, where she did uh, all kinds of interviews, like with Leslie Stahl and with Larry King. Some of them you can see on YouTube, and they're just so powerful. No one ever doubted the reality of Christ. Mm -hmm. And no one ever doubted her salvation, which is really interesting because usually we're debating whether Christ is really real. Does he really invade people's lives? It wasn't that. It was whether or not she should be executed for a crime. And she said... If the only way ju uh, justice can be met is through my execution, then I receive that. And she said, if God gets more glory through my going home than through me, my staying on death row and dying there, that's what I want. Wow. And I know we got a chance to do a lot of um, just taping before her execution. And she kept saying, I want you to take this message of forgiveness to the nations this message of joy. I mean, here I was, 59 years old. I've been following the Lord for a long time, and and I thought my grandma had said to me, one day you're going to grow up, and you're going to be a missionary, and you're going to go to Africa and tell people about Jesus. I'd never had the chance to go to Africa. And three years after Carla's execution in 2001, in the spring, I was invited to do a Beauty for Ashes conference in Johannesburg, South Africa. And I got to go to the women's prison after that, and I got to stand on a picnic table because there was no PA system or anything. There were 10,000 people in that prison. Oh, my goodness. And the, and the warden was a believer, and she just took me everywhere, and she would get a platform for me to stand on. And I could tell them the miracle of seeing somebody that was taken to be executed, that was just full of life and wasn't afraid. And at that point, death lost its sting for me. I mean, wow. I just saw the reality of the power of Christ to set people free. That is so incredible. I think you mentioned that, you know, one of the other ladies mentioned there that we are all on death row. Yeah. We, all of us here that are alive, we're on death row. Yeah. But that we, you know... Through, through the power of God, you know, that God offers this opportunity to truly find life. 
And just hearing the contrast of someone like Carla Faye Tucker, who's on, you know, the, the, the American death row, but that in reality she had been saved, right? She was now living a real life. She had died to her former life and was a new creation and that there was nothing to fear. I mean, that is just so astounding. It is. To just hear your, I mean, like, it's, I think it's even more incredible. Like, you know, Carla died many years ago, over a decade ago. And yet even now, we're still talking about the impact that she had. And hopefully their story will, like, impact others that are listening to this this podcast here, too, I'm sure. Yeah. And when I did go to Africa, um, God had me uh, just work with pastors' wives for the first three days. We had over 100 pastors' wives from 100 different churches. Well, they kept asking me to come back. And there was a singer there, Andre de Villiers, and he did the music. And he he was a well-known musician in his country, did a lot of commercials. So he said, I will come with her. And so the two of us have done ministry all over Africa and almost every kind of prison that you can imagine, and, but also churches and retreats and townships. So the message has gone out to the nations. The book was in Spanish and Dutch and German. So it's been just an adventure with God. <laughs> wow, wow. Tell me, uh, let's go back to Carla. Okay. I know that Carla asked you towards the end, she asked you to be her, uh, I'm not sure the exact term. But spiritual advisor. Spiritual advisor, basically in preparation um, for execution. Right. Tell me, what, what was it like for you? seeing her each day like was that a, a challenge for you each time you would go and see her just knowing like wow you know i don't know yeah what was that like you know someone else asked me that question and and my answer was you know i was her spiritual advisor but really she was my spiritual advisor hmm. because she was so in love with jesus um one night i couldn't sleep well a couple from gatesville where where Carla was uh, housed, invited me to stay with them. They were wonderful people. I'd never met them before, but they had ministered on death row for years, Charlie, Mary Alice, Wise. So Mary Alice and I would pray every night. We'd Sometimes we'd be praying at midnight, and we'd be on our knees together. And then I'd look out the window, and I could see the lights of the prison. And I would just say to God, please help her to be able to sleep. So one day I said, are you able to get any sleep? And she goes, oh, yes. She said, I've got to sleep. I've got so much to do. She <laughs> said, I put on my worship. And the, the warden had been so impacted by Carla that she did everything she could to help her to have the tools that she needed to uh, be ministered to. So she had worship music and a little tape recorder in her cell. Mm. And she said, I'd get on, I get on the floor in my room. She never called it her cell mm. because it wasn't a cell to her. You know, it's, it's amazing, but it's so much our attitude. She was so grateful. And then she said, I just get in my bed and I just sleep um, till I, they wake them up early. I think it's 4.30 when count time is or something. Oh, wow. So that's probably when some of my friends are that are night people are going to bed. That's when <laughs> my friends that are incarcerated are getting up. But yeah, she was she was amazing in the peace that she had. And she was giving that out to me. Um, the other part of that is that the warden had been a lady warden so impacted that she allowed us to hold a prayer vigil 
and we were able to tape it for her. Oh, wow. So um, here we have women incarcerated praying for Governor Bush, because he was the governor then, and, and praying for God's will, and officers in there too, and it's like, this is not prison. This is freedom. I mean, this is just, it doesn't make sense. None of this makes sense. And um, and that's what Larry King said when he did his interview. He said, um, I want you to know I am really for you, and I'm not for the death penalty. So he kind of wasn't, and she said, you know, when this is over and our mics are off, can I ask you some questions? And he said, you can ask me any questions. And so I had heard that Larry King had given Chuck Colson an hour to prove to him that Jesus was the Messiah. And, uh, of course, those of us who knew Chuck Colson, he was such an amazing prophetic man. I mean, he had the scriptures down. And so he had spent an hour with Larry King. And uh, so Carla said, I heard that you had an hour with Chuck Wilson to prove to you that Jesus is the Messiah, and I've been praying. And I wondered, how's that going? And it kind of stunned him, you know, and he he talked back about what that experience was like, and he said to her, I see something that I know is supernatural in you, but I don't know how to get from where I am to where you are. And she said, I want you to know that I'm going to pray for you every day as long as I live. And um, and she did. And it, it moved him deeply that, mm. that that was the last thing that they were able to talk about together was his journey. And about a year later, after the execution, I was looking at highlights from Larry King. And one of the highlights he showed of the year was... Carla in that interview that he did. He was so kind to her and allowed her the freedom to share the message. I mean, it wasn't about the death penalty. It wasn't about, it was about glorifying Christ. And who doesn't need a spiritual advisor like that? I know God knew I needed that. And of course, that that was what really impacted my son, Terry, when he met her. Mm. I mean, he just felt like he could never get free from drugs. He'd given up hard drugs, but he smoked marijuana every single day. And so when it was when he met Carla, and uh, and that was only because the lead guitarist in his band had overdosed and died. Mm. And he said, I, I see my friends come over here because they're hurting, and you and Dad share with them. And they quit using drugs, but how come I can't do that? Hmm. And I said, you know, I want you to come to Texas with us. There's just something unique about what's happening in the prison there. The girls would love to meet you. And so he came, and he went over, and the women on the row prayed for him. They talked to him about freedom and what can happen through Christ, and uh, he walked off a death row, was rooming with my husband, who, as you know from the earlier part of my story, was not his natural birth father. But when Terry was um, 18, 
And out in the far country, he asked Dallas if he could change his name to Strom Hmm. and if Dallas still wanted to adopt him because we tried to adopt him at one point. Hmm. And Dallas said, oh, I'd be so honored. And so here they were at 18, drug addict, minister dad, becoming a Strom. And now they are rooming together. And Terry is set free on death row. The very place God took us was the place he set our son free. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? On death row. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. What a good God. Man, that is just such an encouraging story just to hear like how God is so big, right? And just working through these, the most horrible circumstances that we could imagine, you know, people that are, are literally on death row to die and God working through people's lives on death row and then working to people that just come to visit. So you mentioned the interview with Larry King, how Carla met with Larry King. And then you also mentioned how, um, you know, you had um, been working with, with um, Carla for almost 10 years now as their spiritual advisor. And then at one point, finally, there was an execution date that was set. Tell me about, you know, the, the 24 hours leading up to the actual execution for Carla. Well, I had asked Carla what she wanted me to do the night of the execution because the executions actually take place in Huntsville. And uh, she asked me if I would be there for the women on the row. They were all so close and they were hurting so bad. And then also if I would go cell to cell and out into the dorms and tell the women that she wasn't afraid. They were One of the things they were concerned about was how the women themselves would react to this because there hadn't been an execution in Texas of a woman in a hundred years. And so they didn't know what would happen with the general population when when Carla was taken. And um, so I did that. I went cell to cell during the day and I just went in to uh, close custody to any place I could and I just said, at six o'clock today, Carla Faye Tucker is going to be executed. And she wanted, she sent me here with a message. And that message is to tell you that she knows exactly where she's going. She's been forgiven. And she wants you to know that same forgiveness. And if you'd like prayer, uh, that's why we're here. I took a team of people in And it was just uh, an amazing day. I mean, I had one woman who said to me, I did the same thing that Carla did. I stabbed an old lady to get with with scissors. Why is she going to be executed? And I'm not, how does that figure? And I said, that's not what I'm here for. That wasn't the message. But the message that I'm here for is that God really loves you today. And he sent people here to tell you that there's forgiveness in him, no matter what you've done. That when Christ died, it, it, it was finished. All, everything's gone. If we receive the free gift, I mean, it doesn't matter at that point what your sin has been. It's taken care of. And we would see, I mean, people receiving the Lord all over the prison. And then at 5 o'clock, they opened the chapel and we had a chapel service and we sang and worshiped and it was supposed to be at six and they were going to call us the warden was with carla it was so neat because when she got her date she asked uh the warden uh will you be with me and warden bag had 
five children, I believe, and she said, when one of my children's in the emergency room, I'm with them, and I'm going to be with you. Oh, wow. And so when Carla got on the gurney, she asked if the warden could hear her. And this isn't in the transcripts, but what she said was, I'd like to thank Warden Baggett and the Texas Department of Criminal Justice for all the love that they've shown me. You know, mm. the, the state of Texas was so kind and uh, loving towards Carla during that period of time. Nobody really wanted this to happen. It's like the law was in place. You know, isn't that kind of like the scripture? The law is in place and someone has to die. But in our case, Jesus died. The law's in place. We've all broken the law. Yeah. And and Jesus really took the death penalty for all of us. Yeah. And so at six, we were still singing, and we didn't figure out why doesn't someone call from Huntsville. It was like from 6 to 643. Um, that was all like extra time and we'd sing every song and girls would get up and and share testimonies or scripture i had said what god had given me to say and then uh all of a sudden this is amazing story there was a chat uh, there was a cross in the chapel over the cross were lights that if a generator tricked them they went on all of a sudden the lights went on the cross and then the phone rang, and they said that Carla had been executed. And there are still women in prison today that when I go in, they say, I was in the chapel with you when the lights went on the cross. Oh. It was like God knew our hearts were broken, and he just wanted us to know he was in charge. And, uh, and for Carla... After she thanked the state of Texas, she she thanked Ron Carlson. Ron stood with her the night of the execution. His sister, Deborah, was um, killed by Carla, and he had come to visit Carla when she was at Harris County Jail uh, just because he was so angry. He wanted to get rid of all of the uh, hatred because he couldn't stand to live with that kind of hatred towards someone and through their their talking he developed a relationship with the Lord mm. and a friendship with Carla mm. and he said to her I want to stand with your family and friends the night of your execution and so she thanked Ron for being there she asked forgiveness for uh, the family of her victim, asked them to please forgive her, and that she prayed that God would give them peace. Mm. And then she just said, I'm going to go and be face-to-face -face with Jesus now, and I'll see you when you get here. And then she started humming it as well with my soul. And, um, and she went right into the presence of the Lord. For us in the chapel, when that happened for me, I just remember thanking Jesus that it was over. It's such a long ordeal when somebody's executed. Uh, if you are emotionally connected with that person, I've walked through that with families now, um, and it's it's not an easy, regardless of what our stand is on the death penalty, we need to always pray for the for everyone involved in that because it's a very painful time. And it's also a time if you're a believer that you can pray for God to bring in more people into the harvest and pray that your heart is able to pray for people that 
have done horrific things because the Lord in his grace and mercy still rescues people. Yeah. And we don't understand that kind of grace, but it's it is amazing, amazing grace. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for sharing what you mentioned here about, you know, Carla and just you know, the the night of the execution. Tell me about your son Terry at the same time as well. Well, you know, for Terry and and Dallas, they were not there the night of the execution. But Terry had come down uh, like maybe a week before the execution to say goodbye to Carla. And uh, it had been an interesting time for me because I was separated from my family during that Christmas. You get three months before an execution. Mm. And I went home for a few days around Christmas, and I was with my grandson, Jake, who by that time is five years old. So we've got Jake in a Christian school learning about Jesus. We've got Terry and Jean now walking with the Lord, and they're there with Dallas, and they're going all going through the execution back in Wisconsin. And then Jake and I were together, and Jake had said, um, he, he was st- sitting by me, and he goes, Grandma, you got really wrinkled hands. He said, they look like great grandma's hands. And I'm <laughs> like, well, thanks a lot, Jake. And and then he said, are you going to die soon? Oh. And I realized, you know, we'd been talking about Carla. My mother was ill. And now he's, he's thinking about death. Hmm. And it's a scary thing for kids to think about death. And I said, well, Jake, I don't have any immediate plans, but one day I will die. And when I die, I'm going to go and I'm going to be face to face with Jesus. And he was real quiet for a little bit. And then he said, well, when you get there, would you wait for me by the gate? And so I went back down to Texas and I told Carla the story about Jake and meet you at the gate. And it was really neat because then Terry came down and he was saying goodbye to Carla. And he started back up death row because there's a corridor you walk on. And uh, and Carla said, hey, hey Terry, I'll be waiting for you at the gate because she knew Jake's story. Mm. So um, that's a that's really one of the things that has helped our family because... Uh, my my husband died 10 years ago. It's like we're all going to be at that gate. We're going to be together with the Lord. And we're all going through this, and life goes by really fast. And it's all about eternity. And I think for me, I'm probably really privileged more than most people because I live in that environment where I know that this life is really fleeting. Yeah. And that we don't have to fear death, but it's about what we do with the hours and the moments that we get today that uh, are really crucial for us right now to to have this attitude of gratitude no matter where we are and to expect Jesus to show up. He's shown up more in prison and more visibly in prison than any place I've been or the the townships in South Africa and the prisons in South Africa. Um I've seen the Lord in ways that I'm so glad I didn't miss that. I'm so grateful to God that I've seen him at work in places like that because it's so much more evident 
than how we see them when everything is comfortable for us or we're sitting. And I I love to go to church and worship God. It's just very comfortable, though. <laughs> yeah. And very predictable. Yeah, very predictable. And it's not at all predictable when you're in prison, as you know, because you went with me. Mm-hmm. Yes, so you know that it's not, you don't know when somebody's going to come in and do count or when a meeting is going to be closed down. And you realize that when God has a work to do in a place and he sends you in there, if you only get 15 minutes, he gets the work done because he's our God and he cares about these people. And all he's asking is that we be available to him. Yeah. If you like to stay up to date with current events, then you'll especially appreciate another podcast I enjoy called The World and Everything in It. It's a daily news program, about 30 minutes long, delivered every weekday morning by Christian journalists from around the world. And they aren't just rehashing the current headlines. They're actually doing investigative, boots-on-the-ground journalism while providing biblical cultural analysis. I started listening to their show about five years ago when we first launched Compelled. And since then, they've become one of my go-to sources for understanding current events from a biblical perspective. But they pull no punches. In fact, they tell the facts just as they are, even when it requires sharing uncomfortable truths. Maybe that's why they're one of Apple Podcasts' top 100 news programs. Join me and thousands of other Christians from around the world who listen to the world and everything in it. Just search for The World and Everything in It in your podcast app or visit WNG.org. You love Christian testimonies. Otherwise, you wouldn't be listening to Compelled. But imagine if you could enjoy Compelled stories from Christians throughout the ages, including those who've already passed away. Well, that's what our friends at YWAM Publishing are doing through their Christian Heroes book series by retelling the incredible stories of Christians like George Mueller, a man of prayer who ran an orphanage for 10,000 children in England who trusted God to miraculously provide food and shelter for those orphans, sometimes on a daily basis. Or Elizabeth Elliot, whose husband was murdered by the Aka tribe in Ecuador but chose to forgive and move in with the tribe to share the gospel with them. Or Brother Andrew, who during the height of the Cold War smuggled Bibles to Christians behind the Iron Curtain, all under the noses of communist border guards who could have imprisoned him for life or worse. These are the types of stories that YWAM Publishing is printing, and their books are written for kids ages 10 and above, but frankly, adults love them too. They've published 50 of these biographies so far, and we just partnered with YWAM Publishing to bring you five of my favorite stories. These are the Christians that have inspired my faith and millions of others for decades, which include the three testimonies I just mentioned, as well as Corey Tin Boom and Amy Carmichael. We're calling it the Compelled Christian Heroes Bundle, and I actually worked with YWAM to select these five specific stories, and they agreed to drop the price in half just for Compelled listeners. So it's $30 and includes free U.S. shipping. To buy this bundle for yourself or to give to a friend, visit compelledpodcast.com slash YWAM. That's the letters Y-W-A-M, compelledpodcast.com slash YWAM. And trust me, if you love listening to stories on Compelled, you're going to love reading these stories too. You had mentioned... Um, or I think at another point in time, you and I had talked about Carla, 
And at that time, I think you mentioned that Carla had written many things while she was there on death row, and she had written many, many, many things, um, Bible studies and curriculums. Um, after she passed away, how were those things then used? Well, one of the things she'd heard about Interchange, which is prison fellowships work, and it's in Houston. And she said, what we need is something like that for women, uh, where women can be uh, trained in how to do finance, how to take care of their finances, how to raise their children. Many have come out of uh, backgrounds like her and I came out of. Carla's much worse than mine. She was taken into prostitution as a teenager. Mm. And a lot of the women I work with have been just abused. They're almost like the sex trafficking, except they get in trouble and end up in prison. Um, And so she wanted us, and she said, I I want you to take this and, and somehow get it to somebody who can do something about it. Well, it's pretty hard to get people that excited about doing things like in prison. So we just started coming up with a little curriculum and we joined with uh, Alpha, which is uh, a prison ministry. And we started a faith-based dorm in the Murray unit in Gatesville 12 years ago. And so uh, we have tracks that we have in there. We have a, a re-entry track. Now this is in the current because it's it's evolved but we have a re-entry track, we have a recovery track, we have spiritual tracks, and then we have just um, tracks, well, I forget what the other one is. <laughs> Sorry. Um, we just gotta put that up. Yep. Yeah. Why don't we take it from the top again? Yeah. Um, so. Um, yeah, let's start over. No worries, no worries. So when, when Carla was on in prison, when Carla was on death row, she wrote a lot of material. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me about that material and how it's now being used today? Yes. Today we have faith-based storms. And the ones that <clears throat> Discipleship Unlimited have for women have a lot of the input that Carla gave me. Um, one of the things she talked about was a family uh, program where women would learn how to be moms that didn't have a role model that would have mentors, that would have people that would come in and demonstrate, this is how family is. This is how you raise your children. These are the things that are important. And then a recovery track. So many of our women are addicted to drugs. Uh, When Carla committed her crime, she was high on drugs, had been high for four days. and, And so you have people going out and doing crazy things. They need to work a program. They need to understand that... God has a plan and a way for us to, to get free from drugs and alcohol, to get free from addictions. So we have boundaries, which is a huge issue for, for women. They don't know what healthy boundaries are. And then we have spiritual. Of course, all of the th- material that we do in a faith-based storm is Christ-centered, and it's all biblically based because the Bible can tell us how to do anything from finance to raising our children to forgiveness to a relationship with our mother-in-law. You know, it's just all in there. And so we have started doing that. We started with the first one at, in Central Texas for women. It was at the Murray Unit, and it started 12 years ago. And uh, and we've kept track of the women 
that have graduated from that program, we're tracking about 200. <clears throat> Only five have gone back. And one of those reoffended, but the other four, it was parole violations. Mm. So um, instead of seeing like 38 to 50 to 60 percent, uh, we have less than 2 percent wow. rate of recidivism for our women. It's just been, and and what it's done for me is it's validated that the word of God works. If God says it in his word, we do it and it works. And he gives us power to do it. And he gives us a plan to do it. And not only have the women been changed, but we have right now 250 volunteers locally. And they go in and their lives are changed because they're introduced to a whole new uh, set of issues that they've never had to address before. They start praying. They start seeing God meet these needs of women that they can't meet because they're they're limited. We're limited. We can't give them money. But God brings these uh, just miraculous things in, in view for all of us to see. He said, you just come. Let me take care of the rest. It's all covered. <laughs> and so it's been great. Wow. Well, so, so these faith dorms, and let's just take a step back here. Mm -hmm. So in Texas, we have uh, the the Texas, I guess it is the legislature created this thing called faith dorms, where certain faith based groups can come to a, a prison and create a, basically a dormitory that exists inside the prison. And so in the faith dorms that Discipleship Unlimited uh, runs, uh, it's basically it's like how, how many women in, in a faith dorm is it? Well, it varies. Like at Murray, there's 56 because there's like 1,300 women at that prison, and they're not <clears throat> they're not air conditioned. <clears throat> so you can imagine on a day like today, we have volunteers going in there, in the heat, and we set up a sound system, and we just go in and teach and pray and work with them, and they have community meetings. So there's 56 in one, maybe 24 in another. We have about 300 women that we disciple uh, at least three, three nights a week. They do homework. They have uh, time just to meditate and be still. So it's pretty restricted, and they still work just like every other offender would work. But instead of relaxing at night, they have people come in that will lead them and teach them. Wow. And then how long do they stay in the program? Well, that varies too. Like in most, the ones that we really track, it's an 18-month program. But in some of our areas that are like reception areas and like Woodman State Jail, which is um, your average stay there is two years and or less. So those are only six months. And so it's a different level of intensity uh, we give them as much as we can give them. Now, if they're coming into the system and they go through a six-month program, they can get into another 18-month dorm when they go to the next unit. So, And we're not the only ones doing that. It became like they start tracking the rate of recidivism, and then our governor signed a bill that there would be dorms in every prison like this. They've kind of changed the emphasis. Ours is grandfathered in, so we're able to have it spiritually based strongly that way. Uh, a lot of times the word works, 
but we want to get the word out of it. But the word is what the power is yeah. in the teachings of Jesus. The power is when we let go of our lives and we let him take over. So um, it's been a, a walk, a daily walk. And we have wonderful, in Texas, I'm very grateful. We have a lot of godly men that are in the head of TDCJ, Texas Department of Criminal Justice. Actually, Texas has a 20% rate of recidivism right now. If you've listened to any of the um, debates recently, some of it's as high as 66%. Wow. Most people reoffend, over half reoffend that are going to reoffend the first year. So, one of the things that we've been able to do is to be allowed to follow them up after they get out of prison. And we've been able to get them into celebrate recovery churches or alpha churches, places that will kind of welcome. We try to work with that. And then we have places around the state. We have seven right now refueling stations where our girls that graduate and go home will know, like in Amarillo, we meet on this particular Saturday so that they won't just be left out there. We need to connect. You know, we're so influenced by the people that we have contact with. And so one of the things we're trying to do is to give them life connections. In fact, um, I'm thinking that's probably the next phase for us is we have the reentry material, which is so fantastic and which, uh, Paul, you, you were the one that came in and made that happen for us. And we just are so grateful for how that's working in the system. We have that going. Plus, we have a retreat that we have yearly for a weekend. Plus, we have these refueling places. And we're connected to some hallway houses and halfway houses and sober living houses. Because there there's so many people incarcerated. Over the last 15 years, I believe, it's up 700% for women as far as incarceration rates, 700%. I mean, we have so many women in prison right now that they're, they're so crowded in the dorms and the places that they're housing them that they welcome us to come in because they need to have supervision and, and strength because they can't possibly have enough social workers or staff workers to just be uh, connected with these women and help them to grow. Wow. Wow. So today, you mentioned that, you know, the recidivism rate can be as high as 60% in some places, but you mentioned that Discipleship Unlimited, for the women that have gone through y'all's program, it's as low as 2%. Yes. I mean, absolutely a a massive difference. Yes. But you also mentioned that there's other faith dorms throughout Texas, not just Discipleship Unlimited. There's other ones as well. Tell me about... um, I know that y'all are working to expand to other states, not just in Texas. Can you tell me a little about that? Well, we start in, in Wisconsin June 8th with our just our reentry program, uh, which is um, women that have been incarcerated. And there were 20 of them that we filmed, and they talked about what it was like for them coming back into their families if they were received by their their children because parenting, when a mom's been gone for three to five years, everything changes. 
They talked about their finances and housing. So this is where we're starting in Wisconsin. But we'd like to move into the whole um, reentry dorm. And we have to be really flexible and sensitive in what we call it. We'll call it, you tell us what you want it called. We'll come in and do it. Because <laughs> we just want to see, we want to see these women set free. There's so much pain in incarceration and for everybody. <clears throat> and if we can get them on the right track, <clears throat> everybody benefits, not just not just the woman, but financially it's better for the people that are taxpayers if you want to just be practical about it. But more than that, who wants to see lives destroyed? Yeah. And so uh, I think I think they're open because they don't have any any alternative. That's the good news. Yeah. When we don't have an alternative, we turn to what works. Yeah. It's Jesus. Jesus is the only one that can change lives. Yeah. <clears throat> Can you tell us a, a story or some examples of some women that you've worked with personally and that you've seen their lives changed through the ministry of Discipleship Unlimited with God working through DU? One of the exciting stories, and it's really fresh in my mind today, is Lisa. She was at in our faith dorm and in Celebrate Recovery, and, um, and Lisa has two boys and she got home from prison and started right away and celebrate recovery. Hers was a drug charge. So she needed recovery. Then she started, we started weekly Bible study together. And then she kept praying and working to get visitation with her son. She has two sons. Her husband had remarried and he had moved to Kentucky. And she has not yet had her kids overnight. She's been out over five years now. And what happened is finally she was able to get her husband into court in Wisconsin or in Texas. And the judge said, you, you have kids now that are in high school and junior high. And for you to have those two boys come up to Texas and spend time when they're playing football and doing the things that they're doing. And his uh, her ex-husband had remarried. And so there was just a lot of animosity. And she did not get the uh, visitation that she had so wanted. And on the way home, she just said, you know, when, my, when I was in jail, I said I'd do anything to reach my kids. She sent weekly letters, uh, did photos, anything that she could send them to make the, the distance apart seem less. But now I can't even get to them. And, and she was with my daughter-in-law, and they talked about going to Kentucky. And she started going to Kentucky to visit her sons and met the new uh, stepmother, has reconciled with her ex-husband. Today, she's down in Kentucky for her son's graduation from high school. Her other son was just baptized there's no other believer in this and this whole thing but Lisa. He's heard Lisa's story, and he went with a friend, and he she called me the other night. And she goes, my son is going to be baptized. I can't believe this. He's going to be baptized this Sunday. And so here's a woman that is walking out her faith, helping in ministry. 
She's going to be a licensed drug and alcohol counselor. She just got a scholarship, and she was so excited. She said, you know why I got this scholarship? She went to prison with me, and she's telling the girls, because I've been incarcerated and I've worked my recovery, and they think I'm going to be the perfect drug and alcohol counselor. And so uh, it's doing the next right thing, but it's having support. There were, there were nights when Lisa would call where she was just heartbroken because she had tried everything to have her boys come. She said, there's nothing like having your kids in your house to make it feel like you're a mom again. But instead, she had to humble herself and go to Kentucky. And now her and the new stepmom have become good friends. In fact, one night, the, her ex-husband and his wife said, we're going to let you cook dinner for the boys tonight. We're going out. And so she was uh, getting their dinner, and the, her youngest son said to her, come and see something in my room. So he started showing her the treasure, and then he opened this plastic container, and in it was all the the letters. Oh. Everything that she had made for him, he'd kept, and he never responded. He never answered once. And she said, it was like God was saying, you did what I showed you to do. This is your blessing. This is your reward. And so as they got ready to leave, she got ready to leave to come back to Texas, um, Her, his stepmother said, I know you want some of these photos that, from the years that you didn't have your boys in your life. And then uh, Lisa sent some from when the boys were little before mm. she ever went to jail. Mm. And Lisa said, um, you have their present, I had their past, together we'll have their future. And I mean, these are the kind of stories. They don't all turn out. We don't know how they're going to turn out. But we know that when we follow Christ, that he gives us an abundant life. And he really does give us the desires of our heart because her desire was that her boys follow Christ and that she have peace with her ex-husband, that her life is different. Lisa's life is counting. She's like with me in prison many times. And we have a whole, over 40 women that are, are trained and can come into prison with us in the Gatesville area. Others are trained in other parts of the state and they go back in. And they say, this is how it is coming home. You need Jesus. He won't leave you. At, don't leave him at the gate. You won't, he, you won't, he won't ever leave you. And so together um, they overcome. And one other quick story that's just amazing is uh, we have a, a woman that was at one of our units for over five years. She'd had treatment before she went in for drugs and alcohol. She'd been in and out many times. But uh, when she was in the faith-based storm, she really got deep with Jesus. She started leading other people to Christ. She came out and went to a sober living house, became a drug and alcohol counselor, and worked at La Hacienda, which is a very good treatment program here in Texas. She just recently was hired by the state of Texas to work in the prison as a licensed drug and alcohol counselor. And she lived in a trailer because you can't rent a house if you're a felon or an apartment. Many, very few people rent to felons. So she lived in a little um, trailer, travel trailer, for quite a few years. 
she just bought a house. So she, <laughs> she's working for the state and getting paid for it. She worked for the state when she was incarcerated. She has a house. She is reconciled with all of her family and is actually a grandma now. So um, this that's, is what Jesus does. That's amazing. That is such an amazing story. Both of those stories are just amazing stories of redemption. I know. Wow. Wow. How great is our God? How great is our God? That I mean, is so beautiful. <laughs> it's great. That is so beautiful. Let me ask you this. For um, any of our listeners who are listening, um, and if they have a loved one who is in prison right now, what, what, is, what is a piece of advice? And I know there must be so much advice that you would give them, but in, in, what, what is one primary piece of advice that you would try to give them? Well, I would suggest that you really pray, but also perhaps you need to consider going to celebrate recovery. Um, that's for people with hurts, habits, and hang-ups. Anybody who has a loved one that's in prison has been hurt really bad. We can become enablers, which is what I was for so long with my son, where I just enabled him to use drugs because I felt responsible. And one of the things about um, Celebrate Recovery, it's a Christ-centered program, so people in Celebrate Recovery will pray with you. Also, when they get out of prison, it's like you have to walk together with them but also that you have some good people in your lives that you can turn to as mentors. Um, most families, it's like if you, you know how it is in families where um, the father's a minister and the son is a minister. Many of our inmates, their sisters or their mothers or their cousins are in prison. Mm. And so you have this system going and it's like breaking the chains. And be patient. Um, more than anything, they need Jesus, and so do you. If you're, if you have someone that's incarcerated, you know. The older I get, the more I realize my desperate need of Christ every single day. Because we just don't know what the right thing to do or say is, and He covers even when we say the wrong stuff. Because <clears throat> nobody gets it all right. But just to know his love and to share his love with those that are incarcerated. I mean, God will God will give you the strength to do that, and he will give you the wisdom. It's hard to give advice because um, if any man lacks wisdom, let him go to God. And, and the older I get, too, the more I realize every one of these cases is so different. But when people have surrendered and gotten on their face before the Lord and said, I don't have a clue how to do this, he doesn't, he never lets us down. It's kind of like when I was on my knees saying, if you're not real God, I'm not going to make it in this world. And he just showed up with his love. And uh, he's, it's a great adventure when you let it go. Just let it go. Yeah. Follow him. Well, Linda, I just want to thank you so much for just you know taking this time out of your day, driving all the way down from Gatesville to here in Austin, and to just to share this story of like God working through your life. Uh -huh. You know what started at such like a, a almost like a hor <laughs> horrific yes you know beginning, and just something that someone would have fast tracked you to go to prison, right? I right. Mean, uh, right. I mean, you're a, we're a prime candidate, almost yes. sounds like. But that how God then worked through your life, through your circumstances, 
um, and then, you know, work through Terry's life, all connected to, like, you know, um, your ministry here in the prisons and with Carla Faye Tucker. Mm -hmm. Um, Let me ask you this. For those that are listening, if they want to get involved with a ministry like yours— uh, or to learn more about your specific ministry, what where where can they go? Well, you can visit our website at discipleshipunlimited.org. Um, there are many prison ministries. Prison Fellowship is all over the United States. Um, we are basically a Texas-based ministry now, uh, but there are ministries in ways. Kairos is one. Alpha is another. There's wonderful prison ministries, uh, and pray for those in prison. The Bible tells us to pray for those that are in prison, and that's really that's really important. All right. Well, thank you so much. You've been listening to Linda Strom on Compelled, and we're glad to have you here with us. Thank you. Thank you. It's my joy. For the love of Christ compels us, since we have reached this conclusion— If one died for all, then all died, and he died for all, so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15. Awesome. One last thing before I go. If you'd like to meet up this year in 2024, I will actually be on the road for a few events, either speaking or exhibiting at some conferences. I am still nailing down all the details, but already I know that I'll be at the Texas Homeschool Convention in Fort Worth from April 18th through 20th, the other Texas Homeschool Convention in Houston from May 30th through June 1st, the Home Educators Association of Virginia Convention in Richmond from June 6th through 8th, and there's also the chance that I might be at some other events in Louisville, Kentucky and Nashville, Tennessee later in the year, but we haven't finalized those details yet. If you live near any of those locations, then I'd love to meet you. You can also see our latest up-to-date calendar of events at our website, compelledpodcast.com events. And I hope to see you there.